The following episode is sponsored by the Social Mobility Commission. Like us, the Social Mobility Commission share a vision of a society where everyone can secure a decent chance of a better future regardless of their background and where people can be proud of where they come from but not be limited to where they can go. We hope you enjoy this discussion. Um, I want to I, I wanna ask um, PB kind of how, how do you... Um, what are your interactions like with, um, I'd say, yeah, black people or black and ethnic people, but I mean, we're, we're black and mixed race. So I'm going to say like, how do you, how do you deal with, or what are your interactions like dealing with black people on the floor? I say this because I've had a bag of different experiences, um, over time, mostly positive. Sometimes they're a bit weird. Like sometimes people want to be standoffish a little yeah. bit. Most yeah. of the time they've been positive. So even if I don't know the person you know, and there are guys, particularly I'll get the nod, you know, which is always kind of nice. Even, even if I don't know them, I've never seen them. Um, but yeah, just want to see what's your experience like, and then kind of how many black people um, where you work, and I guess this can be just firm wide, are, are in in senior positions. Uh, and you can be as vague as you want, because obviously I don't want people to triangulate and be like, oh, rah, he works here, but just, <laughs> yeah. you know, because, you know, yeah, so... Just yeah, as as much or as little information you can divulge on that, but just the color of what that would you know what that looks like would be nice. Yeah, yeah. and just just sorry, um, PB, just before I, I, you jump into that, um, I remember just because yeah, it reminded me of of a bit in your one of your articles where you um, talk about being in the internship and you know there's one other black guy. Um, and he's saying, oh, yeah, so which one of us do you think is going to get the the role? Yeah. Um, and this whole idea of, like, only one of us can make it. Um, yeah. As it ties into, you know, Tom's questions, yeah, I'd love for you to kind of speak about that as well. Yeah, it's, um, so, there aren't, I'm trying to think if there, I don't think there are any, um, in the more senior positions, I don't think our percentage of uh, black or mixed race people is going to be as high as like some of the other divisions or some of the other places in the street. So there aren't that actually that many people that are on my floor um, that are, are kind of in those positions. I think the the encounters that I've had with um, similar people to me, it's been interesting. I have I've I tend to split it a lot more in terms of. Um, the similarities we have in class background than I do in terms of heritage or racial background, because there are, um, there may be someone who is a similar racial background to me, who has a completely different perspective to me because they come from a completely different class background. Mm. So they may have gone to mm. private school and may have gone to Oxbridge afterwards and then ended up in finance and they probably have a lot more in common in their life experience with um, someone from uh, someone from a non-minority background, or white background than they do with me. Um, and in that instance, it may be, I think you alluded to it a bit more standoffish or a bit more could we have less in common and let's not try and force this friendship because we're black. Um, and then there are other people who have had the majority of the people who I've met from a similar background to me have a, have a um, have very positive experiences with, and we talk a lot about, and we laugh a lot about what happens on the floor and our kind of daily daily challenges and and what we go through. And um, I'm seeing a lot more of it as 
as kind of the diversal the, the range of diversity in in our intern classes picks up and increases and um so th- those are really nice those are really nice friendships to have because um you often can feel like you're alone in in a lot of these venues um uh and so to to be able to share kind of candid experiences with people of a similar background to you um it kind of feels like a, a problem shared um and but the change has been very different the change has been very uh very rapid so when i was interning it did feel like oh yeah one only one black person is going to get into this internship and um but now um it, like i said if i look at our intern class there's a lot more of uh of there's a lot more diversity and people can argue it's forced or it's um or it's positive discrimination or um like they're doing it for quotas or whatever the case may be but um ultimately and as i've written before like in some to some to some degree you have to try and level the playing field right whether that be widening the net of universities that you go out to whether it be um whether it be putting in place more programs to help people from uh, more diverse backgrounds um something has to be done um and so um, I'm kind of pleased to that extent that it, it, I am seeing more diversity in our intern classes. No, I hear that, man. I hear that. No, and and, and I, I think those are some pertinent points. Um, you just, you know, I think you talk about, um, I think one of the most interesting pieces you've written thus far um, is well, I think one of the more recent ones about the curse of success and asking yourself, is it worth it? Because um, as you kind of progress and you talk about um, promotion and things like that, that it becomes a bit more of a lonely path. Um, and so, you know, I, it sounds to me like you're still kind of working it out whether holistically it's worth it. And and I just want you to kind of elaborate more on that, whether you think kind of spending your, I don't call it, whatever decade in the industry is has has been worth it when you look back because i've spoken to people that are a bit older some people have seen it yeah absolutely and some people say i'm kind of not so sure even like 20 30 years in so yeah just just elaborate more on that and and because that i found kind of interesting because you seem to be a bit um into minds i think so yeah yes um man i'm still in in two minds and it's something i like consistently ask myself and it's something I constantly grapple with and I think it's I think when I wrote the piece I think it it, it comes from a place where you know when you grow up a certain way you you, you think money is going to be you think money and success is going to be the um the the, the savior and like it's going to fix all the problems you have in life and it's going to be the reason that you um that you whatever the case may be leave the ends or or do or or find your happiness and you 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 hit this roadblock at some stage when you start working and you say to yourself oh, I, I still got problems the problems are just different um now if i'm being if i'm being brutally honest i would i would rather deal with these problems than deal with the problems i had when i had no money or like when i was like um, mm. um mm. because I think I've gotten to a stage now where I've realized that money is only going to fix certain things. Um, success in your career is only going to fix certain things. And then I have to figure out everything else. Um, 
Whereas when you're when you're a kid and you're working class and you ain't got money, there's there's that's a that to me felt like a bigger problem. That's a stumbling roadblock, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we can't do this. We can't eat this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you, McDonald's, you, all you that. Feel like you're, yeah, exactly. Um, but man, it could be difficult to reconcile these feelings, right? Because, um, like I said, there's um, as you progress and as you get more senior in in a, in a venue like finance, there are less and less people that look like you. There are less people that can relate to you. You feel like you have to. You're constantly on edge because you you don't you don't you feel like you don't want to get found out. Um, you're constantly doubting yourself. Um, the job is intense enough as it is, um, mm-hmm. and you 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 do ask yourself a lot whether it's worth it. And it takes it takes a lot out of you. And I I say this to a lot of people who come into the industry. I'll say you really have to have like a reasonable level of stamina. Um, because this is what happens to, to, for a lot of for a lot of people that come in from kind of black or working class or playing backgrounds. They come into the industry, and I always, 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 always tell them, don't pretend to be someone else. Be mm. as genuine to yourself mm. as you can, because mm. the job's already intense enough as it is. If you go about trying to be someone else and use use energy being someone else, that's 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 going to kill you. You're going to burn mm. out. There's a lot of people. I think there's actually a bigger problem with the retention of um, BAME talent than there is with yeah, 100%. people in the door. Because a lot of these people, they get into they get into the building when they do get in, and then they feel like, ah, oh, this is this is not for me. You know what it is? I, I am too I just, and then spent. I just think that often people have a not, people don't have a realistic picture of what finance is um, in the sense that, um, like for example, I'll give, I'll give you an example, right? So in, in front office, there are three or four functions. The fourth one is is, is arguable, but I've, I've been in that function anyway, so I'm gonna include it. You got um, trading, which is obviously you, you're a market maker, you trade, you buy, you sell stuff, you got sales, um, you interact with the traders and you sell. I'm being so basic by the way, so you might have to forgive me. You got sales who sell the product onto clients. They're the ones that deal with the client management. You have a group called structuring. They make bespoke products for clients, depending on kind of risk that they want to avoid or or mitigate rather. So interest rate risk or foreign exchange risk, for example. And you have research, which just researches companies or uh, economies, all that kind of stuff. And I think and there are other, other elements as well, but I'm talking front office in markets. There's obviously investment banking, there's M&A, leverage finance. I can go on and on and on, debt capital markets, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that one people don't often have a, a, a or haven't done the research to understand the different functions mm. um which is not entirely for people from our back are not entirely their fault but they just see someone who is in a role and they say because that person's in a role i want to i want to do them but they don't know the skill set yeah. um um and two i think you're right they try to be someone else they try not to find their own niche because yeah. often i've met people that say i want to be a trader and you're like all right and the younger I'm like, all right, kind come up with a trade idea that works. Oh no, I, I don't know, or 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 I don't have any ideas in my head. Or somebody wants to be in sales, and yet they're not people. People, yeah, that's the first thing. So it's the lack of, not lack of skill set, but not the understanding doesn't match to the skill set. And then I I think people on top of that just don't understand that the first couple of years of your career are just going to be a long slog, like yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah. not if you're a trader, you're not going to be running, you know, some book that's worth like a couple yards by the way a yard is a billion for those who are not in finance you're not going to run yards straight away 
if you're in in sales, you're not going to be looking after the, I don't know, um, Pimcos of this world straight away or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, And I think people just assume that it's going to be a glorious um, route to success, like straight away. And I think that's, I think because people hear about that, you, you know, you often see um, numbers come out each year. Um, and this this person, you know, so the bonus pool was this, therefore, on average, everybody got this. Um, people say, right, I can make this straight away. No, it doesn't work that way, man. It takes a long yeah. time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I think that as well, because I think when I when I started um, doing uh, where I'm in now, I mean, I, I do fixed income research on the credit side. I mean, there were times where, bruv, like you come in at a normal time and something's happened you have to publish something. You're not leaving till 5, 6 a.m. the next morning, bro. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And this happened again and again and again. And it's either you ever have to live for it or you have to have a reason to enjoy it. But people think, oh, rah, you know, what do you do? The amount of times I've done weekend work, do you know what I mean? It's just like, especially mm. when you're starting off because you want to understand everything, that people just seem to think, oh, you're going to get from A to B quickly. Nah, bro, it's a very, it's such a difficult slog that people I don't think um, appreciate. And that's why I often hear... I often hear people who are, especially in banks, uh, law, consulting, I find that they burn out because they just, the stamina that they require doesn't match up with the desire that they have. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're like, well, I can't do it anymore. It's like, cause they never, and it's, it's not necessarily you have to enjoy the job. Cause I think I, I've always enjoyed what I've done. Um, cause I, I'd like getting to talk to companies and understanding how things work and whatever, but it's not, not everybody's going to be in the position where they get to do that. But people don't often think of that. They just think, oh, I'm going to be in this industry. I'm going to make this kind of money. But then when it comes for them to actually get around to, when 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 push comes to shove, they're not capable because mm-hmm. they just don't, they, 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 there's no end in sight for them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or they're not as pragmatic as you, PB, to think, rah, this is actually, there are, there are positive byproducts whereby the work required is worth doing. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah, I think it, uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of you just have to you have to accept that it's going to be very 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 hard work, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there aren't there aren't enough senior people from our backgrounds in these places that can actually sit down with someone and say, "Look, it is going to be hard work." Um, and you have to be very realistic because attend black people when we get into these when we get into these industries we tend to be we tend to try and take up the mantle of uh at the post of work for finance or law or whatever it is and like you feel very um you feel very conflicted and you say okay yeah that's it i'm in the clear and then you do you work for six seven months and then you say to oh shit this is this is more difficult than i thought it was going to be um and there aren't enough people who make it to the to the like to the upper echelons of these industries that can that can look back and and, and tell their community, look, if you gotta be ready for a long, hard slog. Um so yeah, I think that's 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 a shame in itself. But uh, you know, we just gotta try and elevate ultimately. Yeah, yeah. One of one of my favorite I had I had a discussion with a guy who he runs uh, one of the research franchises in, in one of the banks in London. And he said to me, you know, in this industry, preferably um, preferably you need to be paused 
well, he said he liked people from the PhD school of life, people with PhDs. And that's not a doctor. Those are people that are poor, hungry, and determined because they just don't burn out. Yeah. Um, and you need that you need that kind of combination to keep going because people like that just don't, they don't burn out, bruv. It's like, they just keep on, like the flame just keeps flickering on and on and on. I think that way anyway, that it just keeps going. Um, you know, but I do, yeah, I do feel that there's often kind of a misunderstanding of what being in law, in, in finance, in consultancy actually looks, looks like. Yeah. And people just see the end product and not realize that, man, there is a long way to get from, that from that starting point of being someone that does spring weeks, internships, whatever, to get into the point where you actually have, um, you actually have some influence on the franchise that you are in. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, but yeah, man. I think um, that just, I find that really interesting because um, it brought to mind <laughs> a, a, a kind of, it comes up now and again on Twitter. I don't know how active you are on, on Twitter PB. Uh, I know Tom doesn't use social media too tough, but um, it's funny because there's this whole idea of shiny suit Twitter, right? And <laughs> LLC. You know, yeah. <laughs> Jay-Z, uh, Rock Nation Twitter brunch, you know. <laughs> and I guess the, the black British equivalent is, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, people that kind of work within um finance um you know corporate law etc and they send, tend to have um <clears throat> excuse me uh, a certain how do i say a certain aura a certain like type of personality <laughs> that they project that like you know, yeah yeah i mean it rubs yeah, some yeah. people no, up the wrong real. way no you, let's be real do you know what yeah like the interesting thing is that I don't use social media anymore. When I did, I know some of the shiny suit people. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, let me let me just con- contextualize this for you, PB, is like a lot of the shiny suit people don't even have Bloomberg terminals of their own. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I mean by that, what, what I mean by that, for those who don't know, obviously, people, you know what I'm saying, is, is um, it, like in finance, we, we have our own way of communicating and communicating who we are. I know who someone is. It's like I'm in research. I know all the best research analysts. Why? Because I read their research. I talk to them. I know who the good traders are. In credit, I know who the good traders are because I see their runs. I see, in other words, the pricing that they give. I know who they are. And a lot of the time, these people don't have time to be out on social media talking about what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes like in the industry I look at, in, in, in uh, like kind of industrials, all the the best analysts, they were, I'm getting emails from them on a Sunday. I'm doing work on Sunday. They're emailing me on a Sunday. There's mm-hmm. a guy who used to cover um, a company called General Electric in the US, worked at JP, guy called Steve Tusa. He made the best call of his career in by having a short on uh, GE. That was not done on, that was not done by him just bragging, saying, look, I'm still, no, that was hard work. And in fact, he does a piece on Sundays called the Sunday Workaholics Weekly, funnily enough, which I often find myself reading on Sunday mornings. But yeah, a lot of people who I I find on social media, they're not, they're not at the front line of something. Do you know what I mean? And and I find that the people that are insufferable, um, and I often put, and there's another thing as well to this as well, right? I think that often, yeah, Sometimes the, ins- the 
I don't know if insufferability is a word, but sometimes the insufferability is look at the material things I have. Um, but let's think about it. If they were to be in a circle of friends mm. um, that could also do the same things that they did materially, they wouldn't be needing to brag about it. Yeah. You know what I mean, mm. it's like when I started to save and invest, I thought I was doing a decent clip of investing. Then I speak to other people that I'm around and they're telling me how much they've got invested. I'm like, right, I need to up my game, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's not a conversation I'll necessarily have online to say, oh, whatever, look at this. So I just think sometimes the insufferability is, sometimes I think people, I don't know, man. I just, I just, I don't, I don't. I people don't, are haters. Like, yeah, no, not haters, haters, yeah. not haters, <laughs> man. I just think the, sh- the Chinese suit gang is just sometimes like, if they were, the way I see it, yeah, if you're really successful at what you do, and you don't need to be on social media, because a lot of people don't need to be on social media if you're on bank finance consultancy, you wouldn't be on there because you'd be yeah. working on the next deal. You'd be reading up for the next call that you're going to make. You just wouldn't be on, you wouldn't be prov- um, provoking people. I'm not talking about people who have their own businesses and they need social media to get traction because I think that's a good way of getting traction. I think it's mm-hmm. probably the only way, because you know with your your dapper chocolates in it, big up dapper chocolates in it from the bean to the bar. That's, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> chocolate company. But uh, the way I see it is if, 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 uh, it's fun, I, I don't, I don't want to rattle anybody, but it's like, if you need to be flaunting yourself on social media and be like, I'm a shiny suit person, then <laughs> I question what you do in real life. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was, there was, there was something yeah. quite specific I was, I, was, I was alluding to with like bringing up this whole shiny suit thing. And it was it was more to do with, there was a particular time where, you know, it was, it was um, Corbyn was running and there was a lot of backlash from, um, you know, people that you typically might consider coming from working class backgrounds uh, where, you know, their parents came in the nineties, whatever the case is. Um, they benefited from a lot of the policies at the time. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're earning, you know, 40K, 50K, whatever the case is. And the politics have, have you know, changed all of a sudden and they, they're kind of looking at Tory policies and, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I, I know um, PB wrote a little bit about that. That was an it's interesting the, one, by the way. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I just wanted to bring that convo to the fore and like this whole question around like, does does money change your politics like um yeah it's funny man because I, I still debate this with my family with my friends um the thing is i think i think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that a lot of our communities our parents came at a certain time and they benefited a lot from the the, the policies of the time and a lot of us either go into finance or law or whatever the case may be and we we figure out how the world works and we're like How's the, how's the country going to afford to pay for all this anymore? I'm going to get taxed, what, 50% next year? I'm not on it. I'm not, so I'm voting Tory or whatever the case may be. Um, I think you have to look at it. You have to look at it. Uh, you have to look at it on, like, as a whole and you have to look at like, individual cases. Um, and Corbyn, Corbyn, I don't like, Corbyn at the time, was uh, uh, on the whole that like, you can accept that Corbyn was a very, very, a genuinely nice guy, like reasonable guy. He wanted the best for the majority of people. He fought for the working class man. Um, uh, 
But you could tell from a mile off that he probably wasn't going to win the election because that feeling was very London centric. And actually, if you if you head like mm. beyond the M25, yeah, mm. you realize that UK is not London. London is a big part of the UK, but the UK yeah, yeah. is a big place. And there's a there was a lot of the UK kind of was part of the same kind of had the same kind of populist or nationalist sentiment that the that other parts of the of the world had like the US did with Trump or that the French did at, at one stage of Le Pen so like that was I was writing it around that time and I thought this is really interesting because number one London is very is very skewed in terms of its politics because it's a very multicultural place and so you have a place that will be as supportive to the majority of people as possible um uh but i think as you as you get as you get older i think you have to your you 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 have to try and keep the same energy and i've often tried to keep the same energy with my politics in the sense that when i was growing up and i still don't vote by the way because on 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 the whole i don't think that any first of all i think there's just a natural distrust from the working class towards any government now like I don't think there's any feeling that the gov- any government in charge is going to ch- is going to fundamentally change things in terms of leveling the playing field across the board, um, and that was one of the reasons I didn't vote when I was when I was younger because I was like, well, what good is it going to do? Like I'm gonna vote for someone, they're going to try and build something over the next four years, and then that government's going to come and destroy the thing they just built over the last four years and try and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, I find it difficult to vote now because I'm very conflicted. Like I feel like the Tories make some very good points about the economy and how we're going to pay for certain things. But the Tory is a fundamentally um, is a fundamentally um, I don't want to say racist, but like a fundamentally very discriminatory party, and a lot of their history is built on discriminatory um, discriminatory foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the labor the labor the labor um uh the labor offering at the time was just never going to win because of the general nationalist view um so it's, it's it's still something i grapple with and i think you you when you grow up as working class you start a lot on the uh on the uh on the left and you find yourself coming more centrally the problem is now you don't really have a centralist party that works. Like the Lib Dems lost all credibility in when in the coalition, <laughs> yeah, and the, the Labour the Labour are too far left. You feel to to have any leg to stand on, um, or they were at the last general election, and the Tories are a shambles. So, uh, like, it, where where does that leave you? Even if you do have a better understanding and a better sense of the world than you did when you was younger. Where does it actually leave you in terms of in terms of like the candidates you have on show now? So, so, so in that case, does that does that just mean that you call it according to tax policies then? Because <laughs> I I know some people that have had that argument before. No, I mean, do you know what? I'm 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 still an idealist, and my job allows me to be an idealist and creative, and I, I think I'm always going to stay a little bit more left leaning than a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And regardless of the money I make, I'm like, I don't care because I've seen it in other countries. Like, I mean, look, I know PB, you're a well-read person. You look at how much tax they pay in Denmark and no one has a problem with that. Mm. You know, additional rate of paying, you know, 66% or sometimes, or plus 60, plus 50, plus more than what someone pays in the UK. Mm. Um, 
but they know it works. Um, but in terms of shiny suits, the, you know, the funny thing I find, yeah, Quaker, is that, you know, a lot of people, you have to remember that, you know, 45% tax in the UK, that's for people that make over 150,000 sterling. Huh? Basic rate is 20 between 12 and, a, 12 and a half, call it that, to 50, 45, 50. That's 20% tax you're paying on that. Now, the policies that the Tories and Labour talk about often deal with the marginal tax rate at that, 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 the higher ends. So I have no idea why people are talking, as in the shiny suits are, are talking about that as well. They're not there yet, obviously, by the grace of God, they'll, they'll be there if, if that's what they want. But that is the thing that confuses me all the time. And I think it does remind me of, I think, a quote by, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, who uh, he once said, if you're not, if at 20 you're not a communist, then you have a heart, you have no heart. But for 30, you're not a capitalist and you have no brains. Because um, I think as you get older, you kind of realize what the world is and how the world works and whatever it is. And and I think that, and as I've got older, I kind of realize why the conservatives often, not just in UK, but even other, other, other kind of center-right leaning parties tend to win. Just one, because the country is naturally more right-leaning. And two people often just realize, actually, We'd rather just stay small C conservative. There's no need to necessarily radically change things, which is often the proposition of the left. And that often suits people because it just, you know, they don't have to radically change anything. So like the social standing can remain the same and you understand um, how much money you make and you you don't have to work out what the change will be. Do you know what I mean? Because I think for a lot of people being on the left is voting left is such a radical preposition. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I, that leads me to the next, I mean, PB, how, how does, I mean, does politics like impact your, your job? Um, and I mean, not, not, not politics that we were speaking about earlier, but kind of, um, you know, stuff that goes on in the UK, China, the U S does it affect like your job and, and, and does it affect like the, the interactions you have with, with people? Yeah. It's again, it's, it's, it's one of those ones where you, I shared I shared a job and I shared a floor with a lot of people who've who've come from a long line of Tory voters. So it's gonna be a given that at any general election, regardless of the manifesto, that they're gonna they're gonna vote Tory. And people have been on the floor audibly heard as if Labour get into power, I'm leaving the country. And they'll back up <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll go to whatever holiday home they have elsewhere and they'll come back when it's a Tory government. Like but I think I think it's it's um, it's a case where people in finance are always. I think the majority of people in finance are always going to have that view because banking is is the is the is a, a big part of capitalism. It's the basis almost of capitalism, and uh, without a capitalist system, the um, the high risk, high reward um, kind of long the, the the kind of high risk high reward if you're long-term greedy you'll make a lot of money uh, premise can can never exist um so you always the, i think the people who work in finance generally who will always vote tory um and i think the general the general um the that may change like that, that general leaning may change as younger people come into the industry and they have different views on life and they have different ideas on how they think money should be split and distributed and they have 
they're more comfortable being taxed at certain rates, which pr previous generations were. Um, but uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a big part. And anytime there's a referendum, or it's always funny when like Brexit came around, no one wanted to speak about how they voted. But you knew that a lot of people voted for Brexit. Um, when any general election comes around, there'll be some people that you'll look at and and just as a bit of banner, you'll be like, okay, so who are you voting for? And you know, you can see in their eyes that they're a bit shaky about who 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 they want to vote for. So um, it's always an interesting topic on the floor. Interesting. No, no, definitely. I, I definitely get that impression. That like, I remember when the funniest, the, one of the funniest memories I had of the Brexit result were the reactions from, or my my hearing of reactions of the early morning calls. So for those who kind of don't know what I'm talking about, most banks on the trading floor will have a, a morning call, which talks about kind of what happened the day before, um, you know, what people are going to do, any results that are coming out, blah, 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 blah. Just an update that people participate in. Now, I heard that at different banks, the tone was very different according to whoever was speaking. So I, I know there was one guy who was, he was on looking at interest rates and he was at one of the banks and he cried during the Brexit. He cried on, during the presentation, uh, his morning call. So you can tell how he voted. But I also heard at another shop, the tone was so great and where, 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 and so I think, yeah, I often think it's quite hard for people to get their um, their politics out of their their views when it comes to work, which I often find kind of not conflicting, but it took me a long time to accept as well that it, it you know, um, you know, people's politics actually plays a plays off plays off it often plays a view into the way things happen, and you probably even you probably see that as well, and even the way some some. Some securities, the way they move sometimes is often very much linked to politics. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Sure. You know, I, I, the one one of the interesting things I always find is often with um, French companies. Um, sometimes I look at some French companies. I'm like, this thing should not be trading where it should be trading. It should be trading either a lot wider or or the value should the value should not be as high. But I often have to remember that with French companies in particular. There is such a strong bid or such a strong buying bias because often people think, oh, this company is too big to fail. And so that's actually politics directly impacting the day to day. And believe me, I made some, I've made some wrong calls on some French companies before on that basis. You know, like, okay, I have to understand politics. Like I remember when a couple of years ago, I, uh, Donald Trump, he was going to do some, he, he said he was going to do some tariffs on, on uh, Mexico, right? So Mexican imports. Oh my God, the way things were just moving. Like, it was almost like some companies were just going to lose like half of their, their, you know, EBIT cash flow just in a day. And you're like, why? And then two weeks later, oh no, sorry, we're not going to do it anymore. So I think the one thing about politics from a, not a personal standpoint is the fact that actually it does make a market move a lot, um, which I find quite interesting. And it means you have to be kind of um, really well read about different things as you were I think you've alluded to that into the in in some of the stuff that you've written as well so yeah yeah for sure Monet, monetary policy and politics are both two big two big things which we, which anyone on the trading floor should should look at and anyone in life to be honest should they should have a decent understanding and um, they maybe not don't need to know the intricacies but they should understand how kind of uh, politics will affect the market and how monetary policy affects the market as well. Um, 
we're time is coming it's kind of going going quite quickly and you know proper enjoying this conversation and I actually had I think one more thing that I'll bring to the table uh and then obviously if if Tom has anything further to ask we can do that as well but um I remember kind of reading through your article on designer poverty gang um and I think there's yeah just in our community is something that's rife like show your um, drip show yours do you know what I mean like everyone's just trying <laughs> to look like they're balling even when they're broke and eating beans on toast and that but they've got the the new Balenciagas or the new whatever yeah and I think um you know social media plays a big role in that and um it's interesting that I think a lot of people even like a lot of younger people get drawn in as well and that has led to you know people taking different routes going down a criminal path for instance doing fraud selling mm-hmm. drugs whatever the case is um but I've noticed obviously there's there's a there's another route that people take where it's it's legal but it's kind of it's been the the, the it's been kind of like it's quite muddy waters I'd say and mm-hmm. that is around like retail forex trading and then like <laughs> crypto yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And there's obviously a legitimate size to all of that and ways that people can eat off of those things. Right. But I think, you know, a lot, a lot of times it's dream selling. Um, yeah. And obviously I'm, I'm in a, a conversation with two finance guys. Um, what are both of this question to both of you, your general views on uh, like retail forex traders, um, you know, that want to, you know, make money off it. And then also investing in crypto or trading cryptocurrencies, um, kind of taking aside the obvious scams and like people selling, uh, you know, services to teach you how to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, obviously there's some clear stuff that are like scams, but even just, you know, as a, a real alternative way to earn a good income, um, what are your views on, on those, those things? Um, Look, I think, I think the fundamental issue with underlining most of what you just said is um, there's generally a lot of short-termism in our community, like short-termist thinking, um, and with no real, and this goes back to our point earlier, with no real willingness to um, to prioritize like long-term, long-term investment, long-term investment in yourself um long-term investment to a grind or to a hustle um anymore from our community because of things like social media which have which make you think oh i want it now i want it now like this guy's got it and i grew up with this guy and and he's got this and i haven't got this um like it was um it it, i think if it can fuel a lot of it it can fuel short-termism um because people won't necessarily know how much how much time they actually have to invest to get reasonably good at these things, and by all means, if you if you learn if you learn how to trade forex and, and you you put on some signals for a week and and you make some money, then then good on you. But it's going to take a long time to learn how to do that, and you should be willing to invest that time and to lose some money. People tend to uh, uh, people tend to have this notion that. Um, 
I'm going to learn Forex trading and it's going to replace my job in six months. And within two years, I'm going to be living in the South of France with my, with my Ferrari. Like, and it, that, that, that's not necessarily the case. Like it may be the case for other people, but your path may be different. The, the, you might not get as lucky with your trades. You might not take as much risk. You might have the wrong call and lose all your money. Like it is that volatile. And, um, a lot of people don't realize it. And my only, um, Again, I'm not discounting the the value of any of these of these skills because um, there's a big debate around crypto now and its validity as an investment instrument um, that are being had by big institutions, and it should be a conversation that we have in our communities. Um, forex trading has been has been around forever, and I think it should be a relevant conversation in our communities if people. Um, if people want to have it, but it can't be with the promise that this is going to be the be all and end all and is going to fix your life and turn your mm. change your circumstances. And it has to be with the caveat that look, this is this is difficult. It's not easy. It's not going to mm. be the be all and end all. And um, be prepared. Be prepared to put in like a lot of time and a lot of effort to try and make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of my only learning. I don't knock anyone that does it. And like the 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 shiny suit gang or whoever it may be on social media who wanna who wanna enjoy the fruits of what they of what they have. But don't paint the picture like this is gonna be like the be all and end all. And you can this is something that's gonna work overnight because mm-hmm. it's not and it and it fosters the wrong, it fosters the wrong mindset. And again, it, it takes away from the kind of uh, the long term, the longer term um, stability of, of like your personal, your personal finance, your personal assets. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, where do I begin? I think I think when I look at um, the way institutional money is run, which I think people everywhere can 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 apply and use, the mindset often isn't making PL or making money that is a part of it but the mindset is more focused on um risk management so how do they mitigate losses a lot of the time um or how do they deal with the process so you know you talk to any trader anywhere and to go to anybody in risk or compliance and ask for more risk or in other words ask for a bigger book to go and trade something can often be quite difficult especially in this environment um and so I think that is probably, yeah, it's the, the mindset is different. And as a mindset that we all can use is focusing more on, on risk management, because ultimately when you invest anything, no returns are guaranteed in any, any product, in any asset class, even for those that are called risk-free, there's still risk attached to it, albeit not much. If you're investing in US treasuries or bonds from Germany, obviously that, but even that there's still risk there. Um, so I think it's more about thinking about risk management. And also I think it's about, um, I think there is a fundamental difference Quake, in terms of what you directly spoke about in terms of crypto and uh, FX. Now, those tend to be more speculative in nature. And so when I look at someone like a, one of the most interesting books I read was The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. It's a very interesting book. A lot of the principles are old, I think, and probably I wouldn't say out, outdated, but the, the mind the frame of mind that Benjamin Graham was kind of talking about um, is useful. And in fact, kind of one of Benjamin Graham's students is uh, Warren Buffett. Um, 
Now, Benjamin Graham says there's a difference between investing and speculation. Um, and the problem with, with crypto and FX is that there's such volatile asset classes, at least for crypto right now, because it's kind of still in its infancy compared to other asset classes, is that with speculation, you should only invest as much money as you're prepared to lose. Um, I haven't got a problem with anyone who wants to be in FX. I haven't got a problem with anyone that wants to be in crypto. But I think as PB said, yeah, there needs to be a more honest discussion about the fact that it's not a, a straight linear or even exponential route from you putting in a couple of quid and becoming a uh, millionaire or billionaires. You have to understand you could actually lose some money. So again, back to the risk management point. So I, and I think that's probably about it, to be honest. It's just understanding the, the mindset of actually looking after money. How do you manage money for the longer term? All of that kind of stuff um yeah yeah 100% I think the the concern I have is people that put money into things that they just don't really understand so with crypto you know you can find people that buy bitcoin or buy ethereum or whatever and hold on to it but don't really know the underlying technology behind it or have any real um like fundamentals around yeah. why they think the value will increase over time and like, that's obviously I, dangerous I was even talking to somebody the other day and this is someone who's in finance and we're having a conversation about using volatility as an asset class. And someone was talking about the fact that they wanted to use some options. And I said, okay, do you want to write the option or um, do you want to have it written for you? And there is a technical, big technical difference between the two. For In some cases, one, there's a limited, uh, there's limited downside and some others, there's, uh, there's unlimited downside. And I'm like, and the person gave an answer and I was like, this makes no sense. You want to execute this kind of trade, you know, and you don't even want to hedge yourself and all that. And we were getting into it. And, and so it was just like, yeah. And sometimes it's a lack of understanding and you see it in different asset classes. And I think one of the problems, I think at least from a more institutional angle is it's quite difficult in the more, the, the more um, safer assets, I assets that used to give you a fixed return. So we call it fixed income. That because of central banks having rates so low, in other words, the Bank of England have, you know, uh, really small interest rates. So there's the Federal Reserve, ECB rate, there's European Central Bank rates are negative. That means that the 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 rates in your bank account and our retail bank accounts that we have are next to nothing. Now put that 20 years ago, you were making easily high single digit returns on your money. So you didn't have to actually do that much to make your money. You could have parked it in cash. Now, because returns uh, are so low in cash um, and the fact that there's inflation as well means ultimately the real value of your money is negative, fundamentally. There's mm -hmm. arguments about where inflation is going. So what people are doing is they're going into riskier and riskier assets, which, yes, there's a return, but there's also a higher risk. And all it takes, and COVID showed a lot of people this, in some ways, even though actually in the end you were okay, but COVID kind of showed earlier on in the year that you can you can you know put a trade on or whatever, and you can be completely blown out. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Um, and so risk limits. So often I hear of people who do FX and they don't have any stop losses. It's like why? <laughs> like you're buy you're basically buying this product naked. Do you know what I mean? It's okay. like you have to have a hedge position. Mm -hmm. It's like you know when I'm when I'm you know now that I'm working on my side, people say oh. I want to buy this thing and I'm like, okay, or, or I might come to an idea and say, okay, let's, let's, let's put a long on this thing. And they'll say, okay, what's the limit? Where do I buy? Where do I get stopped out if this thing doesn't work? And you have to say, listen, this is where you get stopped out. This is where you buy to. That's it. Take your, take it and go. That's it. And I think that's the more risk management approach. I think that needs to be adopted, I think. Um, mm. And that helps people. 
And, you know, there's, an, there's a saying in finance as well that often, you know, at least an analyst that gets, you know, just over 50% of their calls right is a good analyst uh, just because of how difficult the market is because you can have a good idea, but the timing can be wrong because mm-hmm. timing is everything, you know. Um, I could have said last year, you know, buy S&P, buy FTSE, buy whatever. And yes, I would have been right in the end of the year, but I would have got significant questions asked during the, the between March to June last year. Mm, do you know what mm, I mean? Effects, yeah. So timing is everything, I think. Um, and yeah, man, just, yeah, just people not going blindly and and just, you know, watching people, oh yeah, big drip, I made money by doing FX. That's cool, but I want to know how. In fact, I spoke to one of these FX guys a long time ago, yeah? And um, I won't say the name, but it was definitely a scam, but I was just interested. I just wanted to ask and I was like, so I asked, I said, okay, what's your risk positioning or what's your, if you're saying, what's the, what's the DVO one position basically like, and DVO one is, it's a market um, form of risk. It's a market measurement of risk. Um, and, and basically it means if let's say interest rates or something were to move by a small fraction, what make, how does that affect the whole, the whole portfolio basically? So it's a common market way of saying, what's your risk look like? Are you long risk? Are you short risk? Whatever. And the guy was like, what's DVO one? I was like, you're not serious, bro. You're telling me you're running. You're, this guy was telling me he looked after the amount of money. I was like, okay, either, I was like, either you just need to go and read more books. I need to make it more simple, which I did. He couldn't answer, or you don't have a risk management framework. Why would I give anybody any amount of money to look after me if I know they don't have a risk management framework? Why? That's yeah. dumb. That's dumb. Do you know what I mean? That's just mad. So that is what I would say is just focus more on the, than, you know, and it's probably the asset class I look at as well. I mean, I'm in credit. We look at downside all the time. Do you know what I mean? So that's different, but you know, I leave it there, man. But yeah, man. Yeah. And I'd say even like, before you were thinking about those things, like also just thinking, I think that the, the, obviously the greatest investment you can make is in yourself, like in your knowledge, in your skill set, et cetera. So, yeah, I think this it all boils down to the whole short termism that tends to plague our community, particularly kind of like from less privileged backgrounds and and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, good advice from from both of you. Um, I'm gonna leave it there as far as the questions I've um, I had had a really um, yeah, it's been really insightful, PB, and you know, really appreciate you spend your time with us it's been a bit longer than <laughs> anticipated as well because conversation has been flowing and, and what have you but um yeah, yeah thank you so much for joining us pb i got i got one more question just one more yeah if you don't yeah. mind um usually i ask people for um their top five that are alive but i'm not going to do that i'm going to do something slightly different with you i'm going to say given that you are a finance professional and there are people that are interested what would you say are the five most important things to monitor be it in terms of indicators, whatever, for anybody interested in finance? Um, in terms of uh, monitor, in terms of markets, in terms yeah, of- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that are easily able to, 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 to be monitored that you think are um, So the first thing I would say, the, the most simple thing, really the most simple thing is take all the headline indices from the regions that you care about. So take the S&P 500, take the FTSE 100, take the Euro stocks um, and look at where kind of the levels of those markets are now. Those indices are basically an aggregation of the top stocks that any country will have. Um, 
and they'll give you some indication as to whether the the market is at a very elevated level or kind of midterm level or very low level um uh, the other couple of things i would say think about are um one thing we tend to think about a lot in where we say is rate is rates levels of rates um because again it will give you an overall sense of risk um, and how people are positioned. Um, if rates are very, 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 very low, um, then you tend to have, um, uh, you typically tend to have uh, uh, markets which are um, kind of fearful of uh, of bearish outcomes or of um, of, um, of negative outcomes for the market in general. Um, so they hold bonds because they're a lot safer investments than, uh, than other assets uh, in relative terms. Um, I would check and keep an eye on the price of gold. Um, the big concern this year from a lot of institutional investors is um, with regards to inflation. And now what that means is um, a lot of economies are in lockdown at the moment. Um, as we come out of lockdown, there's going to be an increase in consumer and industrial spending, um, which creates an inflationary environment. And typically within an inflationary environment, you have central banks um, will have to raise rates. Um, which kind of goes back to what you were saying in terms of cash not earning anything because rates are so low and inflation out, has outpaced the the, um, um, the level that rates are at at the moment. Um, gold is, in, is, a, is a protection typically bought as a protection against inflation. Um, and so the levels of gold have been, gold levels have been rallying basically since, two, have been going up since basically 2000, 2019, uh, 2018-19 and they're kind of in between a 1800 2000 range at the moment. Um, uh, the other couple of things um, I typically look at are, um, I'll get a rough sense, I'll have a rough sense of where the housing market is in the UK. Um, so I will, and that's as simple as going to like a, a, a nice Frank or Foxton's and kind of yeah, nationwide doing the next as well, I think. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where you just get a sense of, okay, um, do people feel comfortable buying again? Are banks comfortable giving mortgages out again? What kind of rates are they giving out on the mortgages? Um, and so that's always useful for me because it gives you a sense of if you have a recovering economy, you have people who are comfortable enough buying houses. If people feel comfortable about their jobs, they buy houses. So it gives you a sense of, okay, are we kind of out of this like Brexit, COVID kind of uh, environment where people are feeling a lot more comfortable about their personal finances? Or are you, um, are you still in a period where um, people are a lot more fearful about that? And um, and aren't comfortable dipping in yet. Um, uh, I'll actually leave it there. Um, I think those are probably the four things that I look at that are, are most relevant to other people. Like there are other things I look at in my day job, whether it be levels of volatility, um, levels of correlation between assets. But for the everyday person, the other the other metrics are easy enough to follow, easy enough to look at, easy enough to use holistically to make an informed opinion about how they kind of want to set up their personal finances. No, thank you, man. That's brilliant, man. Thank you, bro. Thank you, man. No worries, man. Thank you again, bro. Um, before we do end, um, PB, obviously you have your blog, you have your your social media presence. Um, if you just plug where people can find you, how they can reach out to you, um, please feel free. Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm predominantly on Instagram and Twitter. Um, the handle is at the poor banker. 
Um, and yeah, just reach out to me there, DM me, comment on my articles. Um, I have a website, uh, thepoorbanker.com, um, which you can find through any of my social media platforms or go straight to. Um, and yeah, check it out and uh, hopefully you like it. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, I think one of our longer episodes, <laughs> but hopefully you got a lot of value from the conversation. I know that I did. Um, as always, you can find us on socials, OTB Podcast UK, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, email, we love getting emails from you. Um, OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. Um, whenever you're listening to this, have a, a blessed day, evening, afternoon, and we'll check you again next time. Yeah.